Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20 about the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. We're not to be stealing, we're to be stewards. Now what's a steward? A steward is a manager of someone else's resources. So Joseph was a steward in Potiphar's household in the book of Genesis. But a steward basically takes his master's resources and uses them according to his master's intentions. If you call Jesus Lord of your life, everything that you have has been given to you by God. And your call is not a tithe or it's not, you know, Israel being under the law. Your call is to open up your life to your Lord and realize that everything that you've been given is a gift from heaven. You would have nothing unless it first been given to you from heaven. And you open up your heart and you open up your life and you say, Lord, whatever you want to put into my life and whatever you want to take out, I am a steward my Lord will instruct me on how to deal with what he has given me. That is the Christian ethic. That is the Christian attitude. That's what we're called to do. I'm going to share several um, accounts with you in a moment, but I want you to turn to a few New Testament passages. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8. Now, Paul is addressing the Corinthian congregation about a gift that they Uh, had promised to give, and he's using another church as an example, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And here's what he's going to share about this church, and it's insightful. Before we read the passage, I think just a couple of basic things about a steward is I want to have my father's heart first so that then my resources can follow with his heart. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, if you're taking notes, basically to summarize, It's required of a steward that we be found faithful. Faithful to what? There in in, uh, that particular passage, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, Paul's talking about stewardship of the gospel, about guarding it and giving it away appropriately. But here in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 1, he addresses some of these topics and he says, Now, brethren, We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 8.2 That in great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but... They first gave themselves to the Lord. This is what he wants. He wants you first and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would complete in you the gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command but it's proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, Paul is using kind of a spiritual image there, but you get the point. He's saying, first we give ourselves to the Lord, then we give out of that. I want to say to to this group of people and those who are watching that I know some of you have had really bad experiences with the church. The church has not been immune, and I'm talking about the church now all around the world, has not been immune to greed and deception. Sadly, some men who stand in pulpits across this country have manipulated God's people for their own gain and are living lavish, extraordinarily lavish. I'm not talking about they're just doing well. I'm talking about they are living lavish lifestyles at the expense of God's people. And I can tell you firsthand stories where I've had people in this community come to us and say that they were ripped off of land they owned in their family or cars or the like by manipulating preachers who basically put people under the law of Israel and rip them off and manipulate them for their own selfish gains. And the only one really sitting on the top of the hill is the preacher with the slick tongue who's used scripture out of context to rip off God's people. And I will tell you, men like that are going to give an account on the day of judgment. And I just want to say, if you've been hurt in that way, I'm sorry. Because that is not what the Christian church should be. If anything, we should be known for our giving. We should be known, oftentimes giving builds a bridge, a bridge to authenticity. Here's what I mean. Someone may not listen to you. Maybe they, they've had a bad experience. Maybe they think that the church is all about money. But when you show a different attitude, it opens up a bridge to share the gospel. Many years ago, I was playing a lot of slow-pitch softball, and I had a friend that I was trying to work on inviting him to church all the time, and he kept saying, no, all the church just wants your money. The Christian church is all about your money, your money, your money. And finally, he agreed. I, I mean, this went on for a couple of years, and finally, he agreed to go to church. I said, no, my church is different. It's a great, loving group of people. Rarely do they ever talk about money. They just want you to hear the gospel, hear the truth. And on the Sunday that he came, they handed out a paper bulletin, And the title of the message was, The Lord of the Wallet. (laughs) And I was like, no! How could it be? The one Sunday he came, and the whole service, he was guarding his wallet. None of you people are going to come approach me. Now, I will say that sometimes when money gets raised, maybe it's more about us than it is about the message. And maybe we're clutching the God of mammon a little tighter than we'd all like to admit. Because mammon was a false god in the ancient world. And Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon, which is money. And so money can be a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. And if money has become your God... You will never have enough. You will never be satisfied. And look, there are people who get to the top of the hill, the top of their profession. They've made gobs of money. They don't even know what to do with all the money they have. And they are empty as empty can be because money doesn't do it. On the flip side of that, I would say Christians ought to be responsible. We ought to to invest wisely. 
We ought to put money away for the future. We should leave an inheritance to our children and our children's children as much as possible. We should live as though the Lord's not coming back in our lifetime. Now, I know world events are crazy right now. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and for those of you who study prophecy, you're watching Israel and you're watching Russia and all these other things that are going on. But look, maybe we experience the second coming of the Lord. Maybe we don't. We got to be careful. And we've got to make sure that we plan as though the Lord's not coming in our lifetime so that we're not sitting, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now and wishing that we had done things differently. Now, I'm not trying to bag on anybody if you're in a position like that right now, but I'll just say it's good that we would be wise, that we would put away money, that we would invest wisely, that we would pay off debt. If you are, you know, knee deep in credit card debt, get out. Because those interest rates on credit cards, they call it revolving debt for a reason. And it means that you're never going to pay it off. If you make the minimum payment on a credit card, you will never pay it off. It will take you probably your whole life to pay it off. So you've got to be wise. Believers, lives, resources are to be governed and directed by God. God is the ultimate giver, and my life should reflect his heart. Here's R. Kent Hughes. Every time I give, he says, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money, close quote. Hughes is basically saying, every time I give, I tell money, you are not my God. I tell money, look, my priorities are far beyond my wallet. I want to live my life to be like my father, who's the ultimate giver, Amen. So you say, Pastor Michael, how, how do we do this kind of stuff? How do we change our attitude? Go to Ephesians, which is just a, a little bit to your right as you keep going in the New Testament, chapter 4. So one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and put on the new man or the new self. In Ephesians 4, Paul's topic is that very discussion. In verse 24 of Ephesians 4, he says, put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness, Ephesians 4.24, and holiness of the truth. Now he goes through about, he says, basically once you've done that, the outgrowth of that is going to be, you're going to be a person who tells the truth. Uh, verse 25, that's a commandment we're going to talk about, about not bearing false witness. It's going to affect your anger in verse 26. You'll have uh, righteous anger, but you won't let anger turn into sin, and you won't you know, let it fester. That's Ephesians 4.26. You won't open up the door to the devil. And then look at 28. He who steals must steal no longer. He's writing to Christians at the church of Ephesus. So obviously this was an issue. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has Need, and we could say legitimate need because we know obviously there are people out there with signs and stuff and they're make, they're raking in money and that's another form of stealing and manipulation. So be careful that you don't hand people money with those signs because people who use those signs, a little behind the scene investigation is they may be making more money than you make in a day. So you got to be careful. You say, well, what should I do? You could offer to buy them a meal. Just make sure that you're you're safe and you, you know, you're not exposing yourself to any compromising situations with a person you don't know. You could carry gift cards around. 
And you could just say, look, if you want something to eat, maybe it's a gift card to McDonald's or whatever, Chick-fil-A, and you have a gift card you could give somebody. Don't hand people cash because probably well over 90% of people in those situations are abusing some substance. Not all of them, but most of them. And probably the first thing they're going to do with your money is go get their next fix. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. If you listen to Walk in Truth on a regular basis, we could use your help by becoming a monthly financial partner. Our mission on Walk in Truth is to help people like you become better equipped with God's Word to address today's issues, trends, and culture. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast, and with other monthly expenses. Our fiscal year ends March 31st, and thanks to many listeners like you, we're getting closer to our goal of having 50% of our budget supported. What we really need is more monthly partners so that when we reach that goal, the program will be sustained in the months and maybe even years to come by at least that much. Our ultimate goal is to eventually become 100% listener supported and then have the ability to broadcast on more radio stations to reach more people like you. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner, giving $10 to $20 a month. You can give online today at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Probably well over 90% of people in those situations are abusing some substance. Not all of them, but most of them. And probably the first thing they're going to do with your money is go get their next fix. That's just the cold, hard reality. So even when you give, you have to give with wisdom and do it in a way that's wise. Paul, who, of course, gave his whole life away after he met Jesus, he said, in everything I showed you, Acts 20, verse 35, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You want to live a blessed life? Be a giver. And I'm not just talking about your finances. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your spiritual gifts. I'm talking about your time resources, your taking time to love people. All of it fits with a giving heart and a giving attitude. I'm going to show you just a few stories in the Gospel of Luke. Let's turn back there and we're going to kind of fill in some of the color on the canvas, if you will. We've given you the foundation, but let's look at the book of Luke. I'm going to give you three stories about giving and the heart behind giving. The first one is in Luke 10. And we know this story as the good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. And this is a man, when he asked Jesus the question, he's a lawyer, 1025, which means he's not one of those, uh, you got in an accident, call 1-800-LAWYER. This lawyer is an expert in the Ten Commandments and all the commandments. He's a law expert, a a scribe or something like that. A lawyer, Luke 10, 25, stood up and put Jesus to the test. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. Jesus said to him, Luke 10, 26, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, have you ever had a conversation and when you reflect back on the conversation, you wish you would have just ended it and you realize by letting the conversation go on for five minutes more, especially with the intention of self-justification, you, you say something like this, Oh, Lord, if I could only rewind the tape. <laughs> it would be so much better because seeking to justify myself, I opened the box and now mayday, mayday, pull up, pull up. Wouldn't it be nice if the conversation just ended right there. Do this and you shall live. All right. Yeah. But that's not what the lawyer was up to. He put Jesus to the test. But he's about to, put to be put to the test. Who is my neighbor? Just the person that lives right next door to me? Who is it? Across the street? Within 50 feet of my home? Who is my neighbor? Oh, that's the question. Here's the answer. But wishing to justify himself, he asked, and Jesus replied, 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's a dangerous trip to make. And he fell among robbers. And they stripped him, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. They stole all his stuff, beat him up, and left him there bleeding in the street, basically. And by chance, a priest, that's a real religious guy, working the temple, was going down on the road, on that road. And when he saw him, the man that got beat up, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, now these are the ones that served in, directly in the temple. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now you guys know the Jews hated the Samaritans, right? There was conflict between them. No, you could hear the people here in the story. No, not a Samaritan, a Samaritan. <laughs> Who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt what? Compassion, which is one of the great expressions of love. And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, like gave him medicine. He put him on his own beast, like throwing him in his own car, bleeding or whatever, brought him to an inn and took care of him. All of this took time, effort, energy, self-sacrifice. On the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I will return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Now, I don't think that Jesus is teaching salvation by works here. I think he's simply saying, if you belong to me, if you were really keeping the essence of the Ten Commandments, which is to love God and love others as yourself, then you wouldn't have passed by this man. Is it possible that the man who's the lawyer, maybe the week before, maybe someone was hurt laying in the road, because Jesus knows every heart, maybe this really happened. Maybe that week, someone was laying there bleeding, and he was the man who would not do anything. Maybe that story hit closer to home than we really know. I don't know for sure, but it's a little bit of conjecture. Jesus tells the story. Maybe that man is the man. And when he realizes that a Samaritan, a person that he doesn't like, 
he's got uh, racial conflict with, he did the right thing. All of a sudden, man, that man is unmasked. And it must have been hard for him to admit. It was a, the one that showed him a compassion was a Samaritan. Yeah. You go and you do what he did. And you'll be more like God. You'll be more keeping the law. Remember I told you Torah in the Hebrew picture language means to hit the mark. If you want to hit the mark, if your question is sincere, you want to love God, you want to love others as yourself, and you're not just playing games with me, religious games where you want to get into de- in a debate about the Ten Commandments or the essence of the law, if you weren't just trying to trap me, if you really have a heart to live out what you say you believe, and you're an expert in the context and the language and the original languages and how it should be applied, and Rabbi this says this and Rabbi this says that, then why don't you live out the commandments. Why don't you give like your heavenly father gives? See, Jesus knew every heart. Now in Luke 19, I want to show you, just keep going to your right, another account about giving. And this is about a wee little man named Zacchaeus. By the way, his name means pure and he was anything but pure. Now we're dealing with the same Uh, region in the story, Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through Luke 19 too. There was a man called by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now he wasn't just a tax collector. He was the head guy over the whole region apparently. Here's what happened in Israel. Rome was the dominant power of the day. And if you were a Jew, you could purchase a tax franchise from the Romans. The Romans had a quota that you had to meet, and as soon as you hit their quota, they didn't care. So you gave Rome what Rome wanted for, for that geographic region, and Rome might say something like this, we don't, I don't care what else you do. I don't care how you squeeze the people for money. So tax collectors were famous for skimming off the top. They would take what Rome wanted, pay Rome, and then they'd squeeze whatever they could get out of the people. Tax, tax, more tax, gas tax, cigarettes tax, this tax, that tax, you you name it, it gets taxed. He's the tax man. Oh, sorry. Anyway, that's an old song. And tax, tax, tax. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus, this wee little guy, is living on the top of the hill. And everybody who's walking by is going, you know how he got that house, don't you? And they say even these guys that were had the tax businesses, and especially this guy, they had men that would go collect from you if you didn't pay up. And if you got a knock at the door and there were three guys in dark suits with Italian last names, <laughs> they didn't come to play uh, you know, a board game with you. They came to collect. You've been listening to The Eighth Commandment, Thou Shall Not Steal, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus Chapter 20. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please do us a favor and encourage a friend or family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? The same if you're listening to podcast, please click the share button. If Pastor Michael's teachings have been a blessing to you, then our hope is they'll do the same for someone else you care about. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, maybe you're listening right now and this is what you would say. My business partner stole everything from me. 
Are you saying that he can be forgiven by God and I need to forgive him? I will tell you, I, I have some friends, and this is many, many years ago, who uh, ran into this kind of situation where a partner in business wronged them and it was a professing Christian. Now what? What do I do? Um, well, let me just say that be realistic about Christians. <laughs> if you think Christians are perfect, that's one of the first problems you've got. Now, Christians are going to sin. Hopefully, they are sinning less and they repent quickly of sin. But if you've been wronged by a business partner, a professing Christian, all I can say is, number one, my heart goes out to you. Number two, use wisdom in how you move forward. Number three, uh, I wouldn't just become a doormat for them. I would hold them accountable. I would use Matthew 18. I would involve whoever I need to involve to get things right. Remember, love and forgiveness doesn't mean that you just don't do anything about wrongs that have been done. You can forgive somebody and still hold them accountable. Those are not mutually exclusive ideas. So I hope that helps. Hey, if we can help you in any way, you can ask for prayer through the website, walkintruth.com, walkintruth.com. There's a comment section there. You can tell us about how the program has been a blessing, hopefully, for you. But you can also put prayer requests right there if we can pray for you. Uh, about a situation you're going through, or just generally speaking, walkintruth.com. God bless you. We'll see you right here next time. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20 about the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.